Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Okay, so, gosh, it's been a month since we've been here. I was trying to think, what were we talking about when, uh, when we last met? But as we, uh, as we think about this last Sunday in literally uh, the uh, year of uh, 2019, one of the things I want us to kind of think about as we get into our lesson for today is what will you be taking with you into the new year? What will you be taking with you? And what, and what I'm asking for there is in terms of kind of what's on your mind. What are some certainties that you are taking with you? What are some uncertainties that you're taking with you? If I can spell correctly here. What is some unfinished business that you're taking with you into the new year? Any, uh, anybody want to volunteer some thoughts on that? Certainties? What are some things that you're pretty sure of this year that you think I can probably count on this in the, in the year to come? Yeah, Mary Jane. Paperwork. Paperwork. Okay. That's almost like death and taxes, right? It's almost a sure thing. Yeah. And it's mostly death when, yeah, when you lose a loved one for sure. No, no question about that. And I think it falls in all three of those. Oh, yeah, that's right. It would. Because with, with that, oftentimes is uncertainty. Yeah. Where you think you're doing it the right way. And then you get letters back saying, no, you forgot to check that one box. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Carl. Well, this year I, I, I took advantage of the um, walk through the Bible. Oh, you did? Yeah, that was a, the, the three, basically three chapters every day, about 20 minutes. Wow. I strongly recommend you to do that. Yeah? There's, it's tough times in the early part of Scripture and marvelous times throughout the New Testament. Yeah. But uh, what I've decided to do is do it. Not, I, I went through the Scripture, through the Bible itself, yeah. all the verses. What I didn't do is go down and look at all of the the, the learning stuff down below. Oh, the notes the and commentaries. stuff? Commentaries? Yeah. So this year I'm going to read through the commentaries <laughs> in the same order because wow. they're so, so rich. That's really great. That's awesome. Everybody think that, about that. That's an awesome. And 20 minutes a day, it's a marvelous thing. That's an inspiring. You're inspiring us. Yeah. Thank you for that. Great. Any other certainties, uncertainties, unfinished business? Yeah, I want you to just kind of, kind of chew on that a little bit. Let that percolate in your mind as we go through our, uh, our lesson for today. Because the lesson for today, it's in John. We're picking up in John. Remember, we're still studying the book of John. Is that it is a, it, there's a lot of comfort built into the lesson for today with respect to our relationship with God and what factors into our relationship with God and would there be any uncertainties in our relationship with God? So that's, what, that's where we're going to go. Okay, so we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 41, which actually was part of the previous lesson like uh, six uh, years ago, whenever it was that we, we met. But I wanted to sort of pick it up, give us a little sense of context so that we could sort of recapture where we were. So th- what Jesus says is, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, 
but raise it up. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes. So in this particular note, Jesus notes that the will of his Father, that believing in Jesus as your Savior, guarantees eternal life, and nothing, not even earthly death, can change that. So if you recall, what the context of this is that Jesus now, in a very, uh, with great clarity, is defining what his Messiahship and his ministry on earth is all about. It's all about salvation. It's all about the idea that sin separates us from God, and so God provides the solution for that. And the solution for our separation from God is that a perfect bridge would be born into the world, would live the perfect life that we couldn't live, would suffer and die as a sacrifice, and then would be raised again on the third day. And by all of that going through, by Jesus going through all of that for us, what that guarantees is, is that through faith in him, we have a place in heaven with him. That's the, that's the primary, if not the sole reason why Jesus came. But the reason why Jesus is having to once again articulate that now is because people have in their own minds what they think the reason for the Messiah was. And we remember the context of this. What was that amazing miracle that Jesus did that got people all excited the first time? This is the second time. But what was the first time? Well, he did that, but that wasn't as public. That was one that was known um, in that community with that uh, wedding party and uh, certainly his mother and the people that, you know, were his friends. But the, remember the first one he did that got the Pharisees all riled up? What was the first one? He healed, the, he healed the, the lame guy, and he happened to do it on the wrong day. Remember that? He did it on the Sabbath, and everybody was happy except the people that were the Sabbath police. They were not happy because they said, now, there you go. You're setting a bad example for everybody. And so there were people, and you have to kind of think, think this way a little bit, is that the people who would have been watching that would have thought to themselves, oh, now we know what kind of Messiah this is going to be. He's going to be the guy that's going to challenge the establishment. He's going to be the one that's going to go and stick it to the man, right? He's going to be the one that's going to finally make, have a voice for the common man. You can just see where people would have thought that on the basis of what Jesus did and what he said. Well, then the second great sign that he did is the one that's the context for, uh, for us, what we're talking about here. And what was that one? Yeah, you have to remember back through Christmas, okay, feeding of the 5,000, remember, all right. And so uh, in the aftermath of the feeding of 5,000, then what is it that people wanted to do immediately? Make him king. And they weren't just going to take no for an answer. The Bible says that they were going to try to force him to become the king. Now, how they were going to do that, I have no idea. I mean, imagine going up against God on that one, all right? But what does that tell you? Whereas now this group of people's vision of the reason why the Messiah came. He is going to be the one who provides for us in any kind of need and any kind of want that we have. If he can feed the 5,000 on the basis with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, have this gourmet meal, imagine how, what a wonderful king he will be 
to provide for our needs and take us back to the days of David and Solomon, which is what they all wanted or many of them wanted to begin with. So see, Jesus now is having to, to really articulate and give with great clarity, this is what I'm about and this is not what I'm about. By the way, how did Jesus respond to their attempts to turn him into a king? He left. <laughs> he was very wise, was he not? Yeah. You know, sometimes when people have their minds made up, you can't change it. Have you discovered that? So the best thing to do is just leave the room, right? And that's kind of what Jesus did. And, and yet uh, the story as we followed it in John, uh, John 5 and 6 was that they were sort of chasing after him, looking for him, you know, and that's when he went across the boat, or the disciples went across the boat, and Jesus walked on the water and all those kinds of things, okay? So now, we, so now we're, what we have is Jesus saying that my Messiahship is all about salvation. And your relationship of faith with me is, is, is a salvation issue. It's not a kingship issue. It's not about getting all your wants met. It's not about having whatever you want in life and, all, and never having to suffer uh, deprivation or anything like that. It's all about salvation. So what I did was I looked through the scripture to find some other Bible uh, passages that affirm this idea of that when you have faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that is a guarantee of life with him. It's a guarantee of life with him in this life as well as in the life to come. So let's take a look at uh, what some of those verses are. Matthew 12, uh, 17 to 21. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. By the way, where does that verse 18, where have you seen that verse 18 sort of repeated? <coughs> my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well. Where, where, does that ring a bell for you? Where, what, where does it show up? Yeah, Jesus' baptism, right? Uh, that was the very, uh, uh, verse, uh, the very words of the Father. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. What does that say about the Messiah, about Jesus? He wasn't quiet. Jesus was not quiet. But what does that say about how receptive people were to hearing what he had to say, right? Yeah. Nor will anybody hear his voice. When people have made up their minds about what they expect from God, they close their ears to what God is really saying. Kind of like kids do right? If you have children, teenagers in particular, or just two-year-olds, you know, if you want to tell them like the truth, want to tell them how it is, right? But they've already made up their minds on how it is. Then they kind of go, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Okay. That's how it works. Husbands have been known to do that as well. So, (laughs) so notice what he says. Any comments about that, Max? Any, uh, you're kind of quiet over there today. Yes. Yeah. All right. So now look what he says in verse 19. He, talking about Jesus, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear the voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not 
quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles hope. So a few notes here. Isaiah, speaking of Jesus in the future, affirms his desire to patiently exercise his father's desire that everyone come to faith, repent, and believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. So we think about this from that perspective, a bruised reed. That's a damaged reed. Now, what kind of reeds would, would he be uh, conjuring up in people's minds as he used the word reed here? You think of a reed that would be, be, maybe grow in the side of a river, right? And boats would go by and something would, would run up against it and maybe bruise it in some way. So the damaged reed would be still alive, but would be beaten and bruised by wind and flood and people and age, etc., Okay, a smoldering wick is a candle where the flame is not visible, but from which a wisp of smoke flows. So you ever done this before where you thought that there was no heat in the wick? And so you thought, oh, this is already out. So then you just like put your finger on it. Sort of like when the sign says, do not touch wet paint, (laughs) right? You feel compelled to do what? (laughs) Of course, yeah. So, so, and then you're surprised to discover what in that wick that is still hot. So sometimes heat is there and you don't see it. Or sometimes we see a reed that's bruised and bent and, and, and laying over and we think, oh, that thing's dead. And then you pick it up and it's still what? It's still pliable. It still has life in it. All right. So here's the notes. There is redemption and salvation even for those individuals where faith is weak and waning. Faith receives the grace that God offers through Jesus. So faith is not a work. It is a response to God's offer of unconditional love and forgiveness. Here's the important part. This is a particular comfort for people who have loved ones whose faith seems weak, non-existent, or has been under the duress of persecution. So the question for us is, who are the broken reeds, or the bruised reeds, and the smoldering wicks in your life? Who do you have in your life? And maybe this could be you yourself, okay? Where you've been through it. You've gone through the ringer of some very difficult times, some losses maybe that make absolutely no sense to you. Or where you think to yourself, how unfair that this happened to me, given all the creepy criminals that live in the world, why doesn't it happen to them? Why is it happening to me? Or maybe the bruised reed and the, and the uh, smoldering wick is somebody else in your life, where you think to yourself, I don't know if faith is still there. I know if it's like a child, for example, I know how I raised that kid. I know how I brought that kid to church. I know that kid went through confirmation. I know that kid got baptized. I know that kid went through the, the whole thing. And yet when I talk to him now and see him now, it's like I don't even know if they even believe anymore. These are the bruised reeds, and these are the smoldering wicks. When we look on the outside, what do we see? We don't see the flowering faith that the Bible talks about. We don't see the fruit of the Spirit. We don't see all the stuff that we look at and we say on the basis of what's on the outside, 
we, we can't conclude that there is faith. But what, is the, what does this verse say to that situation? What's it say? God looks differently. See, God can see what we can't see. And even having said that, God does not give up on anybody. That's the message that there's for me. Where we might be able, we might be in desperation or we might even out of just being fatigued and tired say, I throw out my hands, I don't know what else to do. And it's kind of a quasi giving up, right? And the beauty of what's said here is God doesn't give up. God continues to work on people. So uh, have you ever uh, sicked the Holy Spirit on anybody before? <laughs> you ever done that? Yes, you have. Every single time you pray for someone, you're sicking the Holy Spirit on them. And so sometimes, have you noticed this, that sometimes when you pray for somebody, it gets worse for them before it gets better? If that happens, say, thank you, Jesus. Because sometimes it takes that for us to sort of shed our, our idols or shed those things that we think we can't live without or to sort of get out of the way those things that we think if we, if we trust in, the, in those things that that's going to take us where we need to go. And sometimes those are the very things that get in the way of our finally coming back around to uh, trusting in Jesus and following him in our lives. And the, and the story that I always look at, I, I, it's kind of my favorite story, is the prodigal son. When you think about that story with respect to how God uh, treats us and how we treat him, right? You know, when did that younger son finally get it? There were kind of two parts to it, right? The first part was when he, everybody had abandoned him, he had no money, he's having to eat with the pigs, and even what the pigs were eating, he couldn't eat because they would kill him, but the pigs could eat it. And so that's when it occurred to him that it was, things were really better for him when he was with his father. That was the first step. What was the second step? When he finally got it is when he showed up at the front gate and his father's running out to meet him. So those two things. And you think of that from that perspective of seeking the Holy Spirit on, on, on somebody is that sometimes we kind of get in God's way because we want to make the path easier for somebody, don't we? And we do that out of love. That's not a condemnation of that. But sometimes we want to rescue that person from the consequence that they have sort of uh, conjured up for themselves. And, and the, way, the way that would fit in the story is suppose that the father in the story found out how bad things were for the son and then sent a messenger with some money and put some money in the bank for the son so that he could like have a little something for himself while he's working for the pig farmer. That, what would that have done? Yeah, see, it would have gotten in the way. So again, it's, just, it's this idea that, that sometimes things get worse before they get better, but that's from our, we're looking at it from our perspective, not from God's perspective, okay? And so, uh, the, but again, why, why does God do this? Going back to our lesson is so that what? Come back to faith, repent, believe, and then enjoy the joy of heaven and the joy of a life with him in, on earth. Okay, any thoughts about that? Pastor? Yes. I, I, kind of, I was thinking what you said before you said it, but I think sometimes we just have to get out of our own way. Get out and of our own way? We, we think we 
we have a, like you say, we all have these broken reeds in our lives. Yeah. Focus on trying to improve their situation. Yeah. When really, we just need to let go and let God. Yeah. It's just hard to do when you love that person. Have you noticed that? When you love that person, when you care about that person. And some of it is when you feel somehow that that person has gotten the short end of the stick in life. Like sometimes it is with our, our kids. And so then we feel like we have to somehow make up for that or we have to compensate for that. And we end up kind of getting in the way a little bit. And again, that's not that, we're not doing that because we don't love our kids or we don't love the people around us. We actually do love. But, um, but a lot of times we end up uh, having to let go, right? And kind of let God sort of, sort of idea. Yeah, great thought. Yeah, Peggy. I have two friends that over several, many, many years, they had the same, they don't know each other, two separate friends. And one is a daughter and one is a son. Mm -hmm. And they spent years and years and years trying to do, do, do for them. Yeah. Change them. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's a perfect example of what you're saying in that they went for years and finally gave up. Yeah. They were, both of them ended up on the street and would take care of themselves, and it was a very sad situation. But then once they gave up on them, so mm -hmm. to speak, yeah. and didn't enable them anymore, mm -hmm. they both came home yeah. and started their life over. Yeah. So it's kind of like what you're saying was proved in these two cases. Yeah, and not every situation works that way in the time frame that we would like for it to. Okay, does that make sense? Because sometimes we go to heaven and then later things, the Holy Spirit gets to that person or however you want to say that, later in life. And so then we're in heaven and we're enjoying heaven and maybe there's a secret message that's given to us in heaven. I don't know, all right? All right. But when, when will you finally know who's in heaven and who isn't? When will you finally know? When the, re when the resurrection comes, all right? When, as, as the, the verse actually point that out, I don't know if you caught that, but he, he talks about it uh, at the very end. Until he brings justice to victory, when will that be? Yeah, at the end. See, it, the, the promise of justice in victory is not in this life. Have you noticed that? Do you get justice in this life? Do things work out the way you want them to? Uh, oftentimes, people who, who go to court for uh, uh, seeking for justice or uh, parents who, who go to the school board and say, we want justice for our child or, you know, whatever the situation is. We want the bullies kicked out of school, you know, whatever it is. Does that happen? Oftentimes, it does not. And people get disillusioned. Well, I, you know, I, I thought I could trust in the authorities to bring this to justice. And so the promise for the Christian is that at the end of time, that's when justice finally is brought to victory in a complete and total way. Kind of an interesting uh, aspect of that. Okay, let's look at uh, page, uh, the next page here with some other scriptures that again reaffirm this idea that, that what God is solely interested in, and it's not to say exclusively. You know, God wants the best for our lives now. But, but at the end of the day, it isn't about this life. It's about the life to come, right? And so faith in Jesus 
is an unshakable gift that he gives to us, and having faith in Jesus assures us or guarantees us that, that uh, place in heaven. Uh, look at John 10. We'll look at these verses later when we finally get there, probably next year sometime. <laughs> 2021, I meant, yeah. Uh, John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What's that, what does that say to you? I do, because I know what you're going to say. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved, as long as what? You you actually believe to begin with, and if that's a fact in God's mind, you're not going to lose your faith. So... That's my, my, that's my take, and that's not Lutheran take. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that's anyway. Are yours? I know. We're still working on you, Peggy. That's what it is. <laughs> but there, is, there are nuances of that, are there not? This idea that faith in Jesus means what? Salvation. Means salvation. So having faith in Jesus means that the devil can't, is not going to come along, he would like to, but he can't come along and snatch me out of the Father's hand because faith in Jesus is still there. Now, here's the, here's the trick. Here's the kicker. What if your faith is weak? What if you're doubting your faith? What if you are a smoldering wick or a beat-up reed? Well, what about that? Is that faith enough to save you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Think of the thief on the cross. That guy's life was totally beaten up. If there ever was a bruised guy, that was that guy. And we don't know anything about him, okay? But we assume not such a good home life, not such a good upbringing, not all the things that we look at and assume that, well, if he just had a better life, he wouldn't have been on the cross in the first place. Okay, we could say that. But yet, it was about that guy and to that guy that Jesus said what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, wouldn't you like to have that deal? You wouldn't have to live that wonderful Christian boy and girl life your whole life? Yeah, I don't think so. All right. Yeah, Max. Well, Mike, I have one confusion, and that is in Scripture where the Lord talks about lukewarm Christians, and He will vomit them out of His mouth. You know, they will come to Him and say, "I talk, I told people about you, but yet, uh, you know, you're, you know, I'm not invited into the kingdom of heaven." Who are the lukewarm Christians? Well, again, it's sort of if you're saying someone's lukewarm Christian, then they're still what? Christian. They're still Christian. So maybe the assumption that we're making, I will vomit you out of my mouth, is not I will kick you out of the kingdom. Maybe it's just that your life will be like vomit. <laughs> In the kingdom? Maybe. Maybe. You know, I don't I mean we kind of make that assumption that, but if it's a lukewarm Christian, okay, so let's ask it from this point of view, okay? If 
lukewarm, weak, struggling, doubting, getting in my own way, getting in God's way, all that sort of thing, okay? Uh, like a lukewarm would be trying to keep one foot in each world, one foot in the earthly world and one in the spiritual world. Okay, so struggling, struggling with life and thinking I can have it both ways. I'm still Christian, but I'm like doing this back and forth. So we would say, let's just put that in a category and call it weak faith. Okay, whatever degree of weak it is. Immature, whatever word you want. Is that enough to save you? What do you base that on? You're, you sound very sure. I just want to know what you base that on. The way that you saved your Savior. That's all it takes. It's based on God's promises. Okay? It's based on God's promises. So, so what then is the advantage of, of strengthening your faith and having a strong faith through life if all it takes is this much faith, then what would be the point of working on your faith, reading through the Bible, and then, get, and then making a proclamation to everyone in the class that not only would you read the Bible, but now you're going to devote yourself to reading the notes in the Bible for the next year. What is the point of doing that if all it takes is this much, and it can be as weak as it can be, and it'll still, still, still save me? What would be the point? What? I'm going to respond to that. Please do. First read was very valuable, and I saw much more value in digging deeper and letting letting the Word of God fill me and enrich me. And the benefit to your life right now is what? I'm just getting stronger in, in my faith and actually in, in my world as well. And so the benefit of that faith growing stronger every day is what? Pardon? It trickles down to others. So others are blessed by it. That's nice. Yeah. Um, we know that we are just, we're here for a short time. We look forward to heaven. Yeah. And also having God in your life. Um, you have someone to lean on. And um, without that, so I, I think it would be very difficult. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, I liked your vomit analogy there. <laughs> no, that was Max who said that. He said that from a medical perspective, I'm sure, yes. Because, I mean, if you look at what's around you, it is trash. It's not really what is important, and sometimes we hold on to that trash. Yeah. And I think being in a Christian environment helps you realize that that's not important, right. mm-hmm. and you're able to cope with the trash that's around you and kind of just be at peace with it and, and maybe turn it into something good. Who knows? Right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the purpose of the statement. I mean, when when he says, since you're like lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Is that revelation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, who would like to be spit out? Nobody. It's a motivational statement. Get your act together. Yeah, I mean, there would be a certain motivation there if you're covered in vomit. That would kind of... (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's, sometimes we have to be careful about when we read is, you know, the rest of everything that's around it. What was the purpose? Why, why is this said the way it is? I, to me, that's a motivation for when I read it to say, you know, are, are you being true to God? Are you, are you living up to what's expected? Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember which church... 
in Revelation. Was that Ephesus? I can't remember which church it was he was talking about Laodicea. in there. Hmm? Laodicea. Laodicea. So they were lukewarm in the sense that what they were doing was they were watering down the gospel. Kind of the, what you said is I'm keeping my life in both places. But you water down the gospel by cheapen, cheapening the, uh, the message of gospel, which includes cheapening the idea of sin and then therefore reducing the, the notion of, of, of the need for forgiveness. So that's what that was going on. So I think that that, it, to some degree, was a, uh, uh, was a call to repentance for them, okay? But it's a very vivid description, is it not? Of, you know, I wonder if we should include that in our liturgy on Sunday morning, you know. That would get everybody's attention, huh? Yeah, yeah, Carl. Yeah, one more thought. Yeah. The value of it. Look at, look at who's here today. Okay. We're here today because we get value. I mean, it's a selfish thing. We're getting a lot of value out of being in the Word. Yeah. And same reason we go to, go to church. And, you know, we, we see, see the, the culture falling away from, from, from being in the Word and in worship yeah. often. And, so, and therefore, they're weakening. So part of it is that because life is hard and the world is a tough place to, to be in. So go back to Matthew on the first page and notice that last phrase, verse 21. In his name the Gentiles will what? Hope, Hope is in short supply these days. And what Christians have that the world can't give is hope. Now, peace and other things, but hope. Okay? It's a sad life when, you're, when you feel a loss of hope or you feel hopeless. And the reality is, is that sometimes we all go there. We all, we all visit that place of hopelessness. But the reminder is, is that what God is all about in sending Jesus is that he's saying, I do this because I love you. And that makes you my beloved. And the fact that you're my beloved means that I'm not ever going to change how I feel about you, God says. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what life throws at you. It doesn't matter what you're certain of, what you're uncertain of, what is your unfinished business that you're taking with you into the new year. There's a lot of that that's out of our control. There's a lot of that that we have absolutely no influence over, though we would like to think we do. The beauty of it is, is that that has no, no uh, effect on how God feels about us. Because how God feels about us is demonstrated in sending his son Jesus. And so when we have faith, all faith is, is we're saying that we trust that. We, we, we receive it as a gift, we hold on to it, and we hold on to it even maybe when it doesn't make sense to do that. We hold on to it. And that's the idea of no one can snatch anything to snatch you out of my hand. That's the other part of that cool thing is he doesn't say uh, it, the emphasis is not on the strength of your hand. Notice that? The emphasis is on the basis of the strength of the father's hand. So when the father grabs somebody's hand, he's not going to let go. Now, does that mean that if the Father grabs your hand, you're always receptive to his grabbing your hand? No, sometimes we want to fight that, okay? But his hand is stronger than mine. He is not going to give up on us.
Yes. That's one of the things I added to your list. Oh, you added something well, to the list? Uh, certainties, uh, uncertainties, unfinished business. I wrote like doubts and stuff like that. Doubts. Okay. The, the end of it, I put with a star and an asterisk next to it, what assurances do I have taking into 2020? Okay, assurances. I'll put that in blue so here. What assurance do you have? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's pretty much everything that you said as far as that God's there, He loves us. Don't let all these other things snatch our attention away from Him. Yeah. Could I, could I snatch myself out of my Father's hand? Yeah. Hmm. Kind of have a mixed. We sort of have a mixed uh, opinion here. Could I reject what has been given to me? I could. The question, of course, is would I? What if what, if what life threw at me was so terrible and I thought to myself, there's no way that a loving God ought to have allowed that to happen. Could I reject out of that despair what has been given to me as a Christian? Are you saying would you reject salvation, Jesus' message? Is that what you're saying? Or just reject some gifts that were given to you? Well, I'm using the word gift to cover okay, once, once salvation. You saved, once you believed, you believed at one point, mm -hmm. and Jesus says you're saved. Mm -hmm. Then are you saying, could you reject him now and say he's not your savior? You never believe, you don't believe him. Yeah, I would not say that you would say you never believed because no, there are people that, that you don't believe now. That you believe before, but you don't believe now. Out of the duress of what you experienced from life. No, because you can't. You can't be snatched out of God's hands. Once you, if you if you reject Him now, mm -hmm. truly reject Him. Yes. You don't believe Him. Right. You never truly believe. I move from being a believer to an agnostic or let's say atheist in reaction to a devastating thing that occurred in life and I say to myself, there's no way that a loving God would have allowed this, therefore there must not be any such thing as a loving God, therefore there must not be any such thing as a God. Could I do that? Whoa, yes. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I am not saying any more about that. Well, let's hang on to that. I want, I'm going to leave you dangling on that. Oh, Phil, okay, rescue us. Well, I, I, when you posed the question, yes. uh, could you snatch yourself out of God's hand? I, like, it got me to thinking, well, that's with the assumption that you were ever in God's hand to begin with. That, that's partially where my mind went to. And there was also another point of the question where, you know, no one else can snatch you out of God's hand. But couldn't God take you out of his hand? Well, 
God, is, God cannot go against himself. God can do everything but go against himself. Because if he goes against himself, then his own integrity is shot. So he, he's a loving and just God. So, you know, that's what he is. And he, he, whatever he does will not go against his nature. Okay? So, you know, we, somebody once posed the question, can God create a stone so heavy he can't lift it? Well, that's a dumb question. Of course it is. But that's what, you know, when we have too much time on our hands as Christians, <laughs> this is what happens. This is where we go. Yeah. Well, somebody once posed that kind of question to Luther. And in, in Luther's writings, he said, there's a special place in hell for people that ask questions like that. So, <laughs> so, so that's vintage Luther. So, you know, just you, you can ask whatever question you want in here. Okay. I'm not Luther. Okay. All right. So, um, so that it's a little bit of a troubling question, but part of, the, part of how you answer that question is going to be dependent on whether or not you believe that we still have the sinful nature within us when we become Christian. So when I had that sinful nature, see, it, again, this is kind of where Lutheran might depart from other people in the room. That's okay. We all, this, is a, this is a theological question. But it has to do with the idea that when I become a new person in Christ, I still struggle with everyday sin. Right? Every day is like this. Which way, which way am I going to go? And because of that sinful nature, I do retain the capacity to do it. But here's the question, which is even better than the one I asked. Would God buy into it? Let's say, let's say that I am the one that suffers that heinous thing in life. And I'm saying to him, why did you do this? And I thought you were a loving God. And I'm not even sure that I can believe in you because a loving God would not allow that sort of thing to happen. And here I think... It's happened. Would God damn me right then? No. In that moment, I'm a smoldering wick. In that moment, I'm a bruised reed. And what does he say? A smoldering wick he will not what? Snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break off. So we're going to go there. And some of us already have. And some of us have come out on the other end and we're going, oh, thank goodness I didn't die. Thank goodness. Thank goodness God was patient with me. Some of us maybe aren't there yet. Some of us are still wrestling with it. A bruised reed, he does not break. A smoldering wick, he does not stuff out. Just because I go there doesn't mean God does. Right? And see, that's where the promise is. The promise isn't in my ability to stay level in my faith or always on the upward trajectory of stronger faith, strong, strong, strong. It, that, that'd be great if I could. I don't know any human that can. But even if you could, it's not about your ability to do that. Because there's a lot of stuff that life throws at us that makes us think, gosh, you know, I wish that loving God would have stepped in sooner than he did. 
right? And so I think that, that sometimes what happens with Christians is that we get, to you go back to sort of Kathy's point, is that we get in our own way. And some of the way that we get in our own way is that we have expectations about how we think life with Jesus ought to go. Kind of like the people who received the gift of the 5,000 being fed. Well, this is how life ought to be. We should never go hungry. We should never have any want in life. We should never have to suffer deprivation. We should never feel lonely. We should never have any bad thing happen because you know what? God is a loving God, and if he's a loving God, then this is how life with a loving God ought to be. If, if we buy into that, we're getting in our own way. And when life doesn't go that way, there's a lot of people with immature faith who will say, well, then I'm done with that God. I want nothing to do with that God. If that's what being in, in a relationship with that loving God is like, I'm going to cash that one in. And I think part of what we gain from um, a strengthening faith is that we can weather those storms. It's not easy, but we can weather those storms. And I think what happens is even though hope might take a hit or two from time to time, God is the one feeding the hope. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. So that's the cool thing is that God doesn't give up on us just because I'm at a weak place, just because I'm struggling with whether or not God is really loving or not, or even if I want to align myself with him. God knows your heart. He knows that he loves you. He knows that he called you to be his beloved. That in baptism, he said, I put that on you and nothing can take that away. So keep the faith. Keep trusting. Keep being with other Christians where we can encourage each other in the faith. It's kind of hard sometimes to keep that fire of faith going if I'm the only one, sort of the burning coal that's by itself eventually goes out. It's, it's, so there's a great value, as Carl pointed out, in our being together in the faith. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's really, it, I think that sometimes we need to be reminded of that reality. Because sometimes I think we put, I won't say too much emphasis, but we sometimes make it all about us in the sense of saying that, well, my faith wasn't strong enough. I just don't know if I, did, if I believed in that moment. Well, see, that's putting too much emphasis on how you felt or, or what your motives were, all those things in that moment. And it sort of takes away from the idea that God is the one that grabbed onto you, not you are the one that grabbed onto him. And when God grabs onto you, he's not going to let go. And you can squirm all you want. And most of us do. Okay? He won't let go. So I don't worry too much about the question of whether or not did I, was my faith authentic in the moment when I believed, or maybe I just never believed. From a Lutheran perspective, we don't worry about that. What we would say is God grabs on to you, he's not going to let go. So trust in that. Well, as usual, we only got through 
the equivalent of a half a page. So it's good to know that we're back on track, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to pick it up. Uh, we'll pick it up next week with uh, verse 41 as Jesus continues to, with clarity, articulate, here's what I'm about and here's what I'm not about. And that's going to be the bulk of his ministry even with his own disciples, is saying, no, that's not why I came. This is why I came. You know, now we know why Jesus' ministry only lasted three years. He got tired of saying, this is why I came. That's not why I came, right? Okay, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you, really, Lord, for an amazing year that we've had in the past, and not only in our lives, but I'm also thinking of the many blessings that we've experienced through our class and and the relationships we have with each other, with you, and with your word. So as we move now, Lord, into a, a new year of 2020, we are taking with us certainties and uncertainties and certainly unfinished businesses. We're taking with us our doubts and our fears. We're, we're taking with us all that life has thrown at us and will continue to do so in the year ahead. But as we're reminded today, we also take with us the assurances of your love that you through baptism have called us to be your own, that we are your beloved, and that there is absolutely nothing in this life or the life to come that can change that. So strengthen our faith in that, dear Lord. Strengthen the hope that we have in you and help us to be messengers of that hope as we share it in a world that really struggles these days with that. Watch over us, dear Lord, until we get together again next year, uh, next week, and uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.